0: Cradleline Network. No, no. <laughs> act <Four-actual> Doggers. Oh God! <laughs> my name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. It's the 264th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast for two Americans for it to make sense the UK Zone Galaxy's greatest comic 2000 AD, one month of prugs at a time. This episode, we're covering November 1980 1992, Jesus. Prugs 808 to 811. This time, Dread blows up the roundabout, Finn is on the rocks, Luke Kirby has a lot at stake steak and we'll finish up flesh and wire heads as we begin revere part two that's right Put put a pun put a pun in the in the recap fox
1: do you think he's uh do you think he's a bone-in kind of guy i think he's a uh, wow
0: i think a wow this one dude gets impaled a lot kind of guy (laughs) more than you'd think honestly it's
1: uh it's just a really good receptacle for wood-based devices.
0: <laughs> oh, man. If you want to read what the you are covering today in Judge Dread The Complete Case Files 18, The Complete Luke Kirby, The Revere Collection, or 2000 AD Extreme Edition 20, and The Judge Dread Magazines 310 and 360. All right, getting towards the end of this year, Fox. Very exciting. I don't know. Okay. But on the topic of our traumatic childhood events, actually, let's oh. let's get started <laughs> with Thrill One Judge Dredd. Mom
1: always said nothing like uh a little bit of LSD to go with a self
0: hanging. Indeed. Script robot Garthenis. Art Robot Anthony Williams and John Burns, letting Robot Tom Frame. So you'll of course recall Anthony Williams, who starts off on Art here from Cola Commandos. Never forget, everyone associated. <laughs> you've, got, you, you've got the black mark on you now. Oh, In the God. heart of Mega City One is the Magic Mellow Out, a leisure center that's full of references not meant for you and me, Fox. Because. <laughs> It's basically a slightly altered version of the children's show, The Magic Roundabout. So, like, imagine all these characters, the Sesame Street characters, basically, or whatever okay. puppet-based children's show you watched as a youth, and, and you'll be fine here. Because basically everybody here is a, char- yeah, is a character from The Magic Roundabout. It had a, which was had a, a very Banana Splits feel to it, you know? Mm, yeah, could be a very UK-based a, a UK um, puppet children's show, basically. <laughs> okay.
1: Oh, like a Mr. Rogers,
0: but I guess a little, yeah, little bit yeah. more well, intense. Yeah, the, the half of Mr. Rogers where he went to the land of make-believe or whatever. Yep. You know. And people <sighs> talked to a castle full of puppets for a while, yeah. Yeah 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 yeah. They had the castle that was that was strangely about chest high, so someone could hide behind it with a sock puppet that <laughs> they would come <laughs> up with. Possibly Zubuli Zoo. Did you ever watch Zubuli Zoo? No. Fox? I watched. The, That's one of. The, I watched Fraggle Rock. Zubuli Zoo was this Canadian show full of people wearing proto-furry makeup. Oh, and is ooh, one of one of ooh. these things where very few people actually remember it, and it was one of those things where one of the parts of my youth where I wonder if it wasn't just a fever dream. That's awesome. Like that. <laughs> Look it up. Be freaked out. Um... Anyway, it's this place full of bright characters that people like to hang out in and in the process, you know, the, the, and sorry, end that process of hanging out and mellowing, maybe helped by some tranquilizer and hallucinogenic chemicals in the air. That, that just doesn't seem healthy. I guess it's all mm. they're like microdosing the air. <laughs> I've been macrodosing, Fox. That's my life. <laughs> um. Take it to the edge, you know, <laughs> listen, I'm getting weird. Uh, things begin very peaceful and storybook-like. They've got a lot of like, like, oh, how's things going today? Said this one dude. Oh, it's yeah, fine. Duggle. Said this other dude. Dougal's yeah, my Dougal. favorite
1: because he's a bear that he's, also is a dog.
0: Yeah, I believe he's a reference to the character Dougal. I think in the Magic Roundabout. I did a, I found a thing that was a, that was a, a breakdown of the characters of the Magic Roundabout, and it's a whole thing. Okay, I guess there's a Wikipedia I, I guess page as, on it, huh? Yeah, as wikipedia asked, as again, if there was a breakdown of the Sesame Street characters of my youth, so you could know, like, you know, that Telly had anxiety and Grover was a weirdo, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Grover was a weirdo. Yeah, narration boxes doing the he-said-she-said stuff, also very lawless, as we'll see in the magazine in 29 years or so. Oh, wow. Um, Anyway. um. Anyway, things are very peaceful and stuff until one of the human folks hangs themselves from a tree, like literally like noose on a stool, jumping off kind of stuff. It's, you know, trigger warning. Trigger warning, uh, uh, suicide here, but they're very, he, he, the happenings himself fucks. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, tree based too. Very well. Hangs himself, yeah, hangs himself because of stuff in the air, basically. Spoilers for the happening. Outside, in the dark and grim Mega City one dread arrives on the scene as flashback gordon the owner of the place explains the situation to the judges this guy is a hippie um yeah, exactly. something in the air is making people kill themselves and each other and dread's heading in to deal with it he finds the place dark with a bunch of character droids waiting for him not clear on what's going on he heads oh sorry he's also told that the uh hallucinogen gas has been turned off so there's nothing so he doesn't have to worry about it he heads into the park to find more suicidal people hanging. They're eating, hanging themselves. They're eating giant fake mushrooms. Yeah. There's even a dude lying on the train tracks, egging this atomic, the tank engine kind of guy to run him over. Which I guess wouldn't magic- it just like
1: turn off? It's just turn off. Just
0: don't run him over. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know. What you've got a schedule going. to keep. I mean, you know, this is this is capitalism, Fox. That's what I keep saying. I'm telling everybody, you know, stuff. Uh, this is what happens when you uh, when you let your train magnates run the uh the asylum i guess for the record i know there was a train in the magic roundabout so this is not actually atomic the tank engine it's called the magic roundabout because that's like a train terminology thing whatever um (laughs) dread reports the mass suicide but before i don't want to get yelled at before he can investigate further (laughs) he feels dizzy and the world changes around him he pulls down his respirator but it's too late dougal the dog has turned into mead machine yeah. Or sort of a a Dougal from the Magic Roundabout-based meat machine, I guess. Yeah, he's gonna think he's gonna go up to four on him, I guess. I always love the uh, the dr- the judge respirators that pull down from the shield in the helmet. That's always I, I that's always such a such a fun touch. Yeah, characters. it just makes it look like a real long nose. Yeah, uh. Dread's got his, <laughs> he's got his respirator on, but it's no use. He's been dosed as Mean Machine. Duggle headbutts him and he falls unconscious. Dread comes to and is aware that oh, he's God. hallucinating, but still blows Duggle's head off just in case. <laughs> and then hits uh, Jody with, or or Jobody with an incendiary round because he looks like a big mustachio judge death. The flaming Jodeby flies through the park, oh, setting it all on fire as Dread comes back to his senses.
1: <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's killed a lot more people than I think that he uh,
0: intended to. But, you know, he there's some dead drunk. bodies in there too. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all have our reasons. Bad trip. He puts down Joe to be with a high X round, then starts herding the surviving victims to safety through the flames. He goes to escape himself, noticing a corroded gas pipe as he goes. The droids all die in the fire as Dredd reports that the air in the park was chock full of hallucinogens, <laughs> this which is the likely problem right caused here. all the death and stuff. Come on. <laughs> Dread will need a few jabs to recover, but 34 citizens are dead, and Dredd sentences flashback Gordon to 18 years and then 20 when he complains, in the smoking wreckage of Mellow Out, the droids that still survive, and they aren't pleased about this whole situation of being, you know, burned up and then complicit in murder. It's a bad time. Yeah. Well, I guess the droids aren't really going to prison. That's that's a good yeah. thing. They might get destroyed or something, or taken to. I'm just saying. It looks like Duggle came out ahead. Last episode of Space Spinner- Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's just ahead at the end. Yeah, oh my but God. Oh. But oh. But. oh my God. Yeah, I know. Okay. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Listen, as a punster myself, I can hardly complain. John Burns takes over on art, who we might recall uh, doing art for the post election dread story Twilight yeah, Slash Gleaming, or that recent uh, Art of Geomancy stories. Um, I a love his cityscape. Of- yeah, I love this too. Yeah, there's this, it starts with this, uh, row of like noir, f- film noirish tenements in front of the brightly lit domes of a more traditional megacity one. As we see a man putting on a shoulder holster and reflecting, he used to be a judge for 20 years. He hated every minute of it. Then, as we see a framed photo of a blonde woman, he wanted to be a man instead. And they took his badge and his life fell apart. Now he's trying to redeem himself as he puts on a trench coat and walks out into the night. Again, 1992, peak trench coat, Fox. Oh, my God. No, they were everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) He ends up Everywhere he ends up at a poker game that 's being run by a racketeer and up and coming crime boss named Merck Darrison. Darrison recently cut off the hands of a shopkeeper that wouldn 't pay protection and he's too but he 's too careful for the real judges to find him, so instead, this former judge rolls in with a pair of pistols with sweet laser sights and starts Hell shooting yeah. Also we're we're getting to I think we're in the midst of peak laser sight as well for the record. Like I feel like <laughs> that started with the first Terminator movie and then Entango and Cash uh, uh Kurt Russell had one on his pistol and the li- thing for the laser sight was bigger than the barrel of the gun it was pretty ridiculous <laughs> like good good times with these laser sights. Um Anyway, he kills uh, seven goons, then falls back and takes out more when they come after him. The surviving hoods make a run for it, one falling out a window and alerting a passing Judge Dredd. He calls in for med and meat wagons, which I like. He's like, get the wagons down here, med and meat. (laughs) Ooh, Dredd rolls up on the scene, blasts some escaping perps himself as the former judge stares down Derryson. The, the former judge then escapes into the night, dodging Dredd's heat seeker and recognizing the voice of Judge Dredd like, as he calls yeah. after him. Back on the scene, Dredd finds Darrison whining that now <laughs> his hands have been cut off. <laughs> yeah, man. I love this stop action here. Yeah, listen, sow the seeds of hand cutting and you'll reap the whirlwind of getting your hands cut off. <laughs> Dred interrogates Darrison. We find out that the former judge is named Raider. Dred knocks out a tourniquet of Darrison after he gets that information and reflects on that name. Carl Raider. long time no
1: see. Well, I mean, good jump into conclusions there. It's a good instinct, I guess. That
0: hey, listen, it's 2114 that Matt's been in service for over 100 years now. Yeah, jump to conclusions, Matt. Twelve <laughs> dead, thirteen wounded, and the judges are cleaning up the remains of Raider's massacre. Dread is certain who it is, and we learn that Raider wasn't only a judge, but he was in the same cursed class as Judge Dread.
1: Yeah, that's a. Uh, seems like really only one person
0: so far that's really made it out of that class. <laughs> Everyone in Dread's class has been killed by Dread. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or alternately, at least arrested by Dredd, but certainly, but many killed. Uh, Jesus. Will um, you know, Dred remembers him as a bit of a dreamer, and then calls in Judge Palm Tree from the undercover uh, Wally Squad, and will remember Judge Lola Palmtree from that one Twin Peaks themed Dread story. I love this chick. She's got, she's got some hair going on. It's excellent. Ooh. Like, complicated, like, uh, sort of, like, just, like, one or two dreadlocks mixed in in there that are multicolored, I guess? Yeah. Jed doesn't know what Raider's up to, but he knows he's going down. At a diner, Raider sits at the bar and drinks coffee, telling the owner that Darrison won't bother them again, then walks out into the street... Um basically he thinks that, that now is just gonna come after him until and that will um sort of I don't know lead to a comeuppance here. And then he remembers his time with Dredd in the Academy, thinking back to when they were all kids, including both the Dread twins and cadets Wagner, Gibson and Cray. I believe it was Judge Gibson that would later go on to become Mutie the Pig, who Dredd would also kill <laughs> in the course of things. God, these poor people. I think at this point I think it's interesting the evolution of things because I believe at this point uh, uh Joe and Rico Dread both have dread on their helmets but later I think they their term their terminology in the academy would change to their first names or maybe just Rico would would have would, would go by his first name instead of his last I guess in the hospital ba- um sorry Raider remembers the um, a day on the firing squad when he shot exactly as well as Joe Dredd. They both were bitten, beaten by Rico, who is, of course, a savant at this stuff. cloned to perfection. In his hospital bed, Darrison has bandaged stumps and talks about a deal <laughs> to smuggle muties from Banana City to a star freighter where they'll, where they'll space them. This is one of those uh, mega rackets that we heard about back in the day in uh, in an earlier Dread story. This act of cruelty will draw out Raider and then Darius can have his revenge at a sector house. Dredd tells Palmtree about Raider. He, co- he couldn't he could remain detached as a judge. He gets emotional, has doubts about things, and eventually he had a liaison with a female civilian and Dredd is sure he's turned vigilante. He wants Palmtree to take advantage of Raider's one weakness, women.
1: Man... I mean, but doesn't the Wally squad also have high turnover in terms of, like, sympathizing with the, with the populace? I
0: don't know. I don't know if we've heard that. I, I could certainly believe it just because they, they often go pretty deep undercover in terms of, uh, like, what, how deep they're in there and what they're doing and stuff like that. I don't know. Mm,
1: yeah, you know, just the honeypot's always a dangerous move, in my opinion. That's true. Yeah, it
0: could go both ways. <laughs> Whatever. Honey Pot opens on both ends, Fox. It's very, <laughs> not a very good pot for Honey. So Winnie the Pooh record. never knew. It's incredibly sticky. Next time, <laughs> falling in love again. Oh. What am I to do? Thrill to Finn. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, like, misplaced love. <laughs> sort of rhyming two and two there, Fox. I'm not too proud to go for it. Script robot Pat Mills and Tony Skinner. Art robot Jim Elston and Kevin Wicks. Letting robot Stephen Potter. So, Fox, last time we left, Finn, he was fighting or getting beat up by Kruger, <laughs> the anchor man assassin of the evil Newts, and he's bound our hero Finn in a net, but Finn manages to kick himself free and slash Kruger I mean, with his own anchor.
1: So many missed fun opportunities, you know? Hope this doesn't weigh you down. Was Autoerotic one- anchorification. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Eat boot, you know? Yeah, anchors away. Oh my God, anchors away. Jesus.
0: Anyway, something, um, something, snake penetration. You know, Mills will do these puns sometimes, but sometimes he holds back also. You know, it's a whole thing. The two men scuffle on a pier, but Kruger gets the better of Finn. Calls out a final prayer, dedicating Finn's death to No Siren, the uh, the nice. whatever new god that he worships. Finn thinks he's dead, but Mandy just tells him to keep fighting. She's watching him from his from her cauldron. So Finn keeps baiting Kruger until suddenly the Sigling, which is this dragon spirit from the deep, that No Siren also sent <laughs> after Finn. Suddenly, manifests itself directly in Kruger's chest. Whoops! The two explode, and Finn is safe. He's worried about reprisals from the Newt, but Mandy warns of a more subtle counterattack coming. Mm. We see deep under the Atlantic, where the Newts communicate with each other. There, also on alien worlds and in deep in, and in deep space. To get the newt, it's to show itself. They'll have to take out another of its high-ranking goons, another uh, shining one. So who va bohu, bro? So Fox, the newts are controlling people with pharmaceuticals, and oh, the yeah. boss of this project is Mister Paraclete, which is the concept of the Holy Spirit as a advocate or counselor. That's what the name means. Um in one of those rich guy dens with like a fireplace, big bookshelves, and leather and leather chairs. You know I'm talking about this rich guy den kind of thing. Um Paraclete is yeah, listen, yeah, these elites they control us all, Fox. I'm not I don't want to do the voice just yet, but (laughs) listen. You know, leather chair, fireplace room, paraclete is confronted by a researcher named Mrs. Lotta. Mm. She's worried about the massive side effects of a drug called femazom, uh, or called Femzom, okay. an antidepressant she's developed. Um, the para- The uh, side effects include tardive dyskinesis, uh, which, which is like weird like uh, or unusual, fa- facial muscle tics and stuff and brain Holy damage. God. And it seems like... It's a sixth of the world's tranquilizers or tranquilizer users have suffered irreversible brain damage. That seems high. That's uh, yeah. It's like twenty-five million people. Well, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. No, you said millions of of that number of the users. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, but so yeah, that seems high. But Pericles happy to hear it, because he's an evil lizard being that hates women, especially hates that they can think at all, and he wants to use, you know, he's trying to turn them into just sort of dumb
1: broodmares or whatever. Yeah, no, I the whole fem zom, feminine zombie thing is like not, it's weird. Anyway, it's yeah, weird. Listen. She's like the writings on the wall. Like if he's just like super stoked on this whole thing. She's just like, I'm all quit. It's like, I feel like at this point you're in too deep.
0: Anyway, psychiatric medication is used to uh control and kill the pot and soft kill the population, Fox. It's a whole thing. That's a Real conspiracy. do mm, Don't like it. Anyway, he uses magic powers to instantly burn her to a black to a blackened skeleton. Fine. Whatever.
1: <laughs> he he uh, combusts her. Which I guess, he, said,
0: he says he'll blame it on spontaneous combustion. And like, here's where I also okay, say bye. that like, 99% of spontaneous combustions also happen to people who are who happen to be, happen in people's beds to people who are smokers. Like, I'm just saying, like, many of them have causes. You smoke in your in your sheets, and many sheets are actually highly flammable. Or yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, Finn's in a graveyard, gathering thick black shadows from the tombstones and nearby yew tree. Yew, uh, cloaked in shadows, he heads out to Paraclete's mansion in Treen, which I guess is in Cornwall. There observing his arm, uh, Pericles' armored Mercedes, and he's got a car phone, he's real cool, as Finn jumps <laughs> aboard the roof of the car in a, as a swirling mass of blackness.
1: Oh, man, he, I'm gonna make
0: your car do uh, fall off this cliff. The goons have to go, go to open their windows to shoot Finn off the roof, because the <laughs> roof is bulletproof, you can't shoot through it. God. And that gives Finn the chance to send the car careening off the side of a cliff, and it explodes, chalk one off for the horned beast. nice. Uh, love a love when a car goes off a cliff and explodes, Fox. I mean, it's so it's, cool. It's fucking random. It's a good yeah. move. Oh, but maybe not. As a shining <laughs> paraclete comes flying out of the wreckage, shining with magical power, Fiends bullets do noshing as paraclete <laughs> has him totally outclassed. He clearly sees himself as an agent of good and Finn one of the, one of evil. And I think Finn might be okay with that. As a last request, Finn asks to be killed on a nearby witch's rock. I believe it's called Logan Rock in Cornish, uh, tourist material. Okay. It's this, like, stone that, like, stays in place, but you can kind of push it back and forth or something like that. I don't know. Interesting. It's an interesting thing where in the 1800s, some Navy jerks, like, pull, like pulled used a, a rope to pull the rock off the side of the cliff to show how boss the British Navy was. Okay. And then locals, ma- and then locals made them put it back. <laughs> yeah. Dumbass. <it's. laughs> like, this is, like, even in the 19th century, we got tourism, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> So it's not quite the same as it is historically. That's what I'm told. Anyway, listen, I'm going to go to Cornwall soon. Someday. See what this stuff's going on. See, it's witch stuff. Yes. Um, anyway, Fox, I'm sorry. D- d- side things. But Paraclete agrees, and we've got this old Br'er uh, br- Rabbit situation. You know, Don't toss me in that uh, briar patch. Yeah, thing, exactly.
1: But, like, they know better, I imagine. Yeah. But it's
0: just like, nah, man
1: uh so he took his boot off time to do some electric on him and oh no now my powers
0: are gone that's weird yeah he flies him to the rock as finn takes off one of his boots calls down the mystic lightning and finn's hit but the lightning has the lightning does (laughs) nothing. yeah man that's uh it's the power of grounding yourself on a rock I guess, yeah, he p- took off a boot to ground his bare foot into the rock, but, which was an was... ancient anti-newt defense system. Okay. So <laughs> it not just pro- doesn't just protect him, but draws out all of Paraclete's energy, and he falls down, like his cell phone landing beside him, and he's just a normal dude now. And so Finn, like, scares him so much that he backs off the side of a cliff and falls to his death. Whoops. Oh no. Then Paraclete's cell phone rings and Finn answers. A meeting of the Messengers of Light has been called because they've, cap- they've captured the enemy's High Priestess and victory's within their grasp. Finn is on his way as he howls with rage into the sunrise. Seems to me that they blew that out of proportion, given how chummy these two seem. Mm, It seems to me like I don't like I have questions about Finn's general strategy of almost being killed, then sort of pulling some magic gobbledygook out of his butt right at the (laughs) last minute.
1: Oh, you know, you got to keep inventing superpowers or it's not interesting. Like, that's a good
0: defense move, but I don't really like it on offense. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. High Priestess Amanda is in the clutches of Free Mariner's leader, Lord Michael Courtney. But they do, as you say, seem very chummy. He calls her Mick, or she calls him Mick. He shows her around his room of death, Damn. complete with the heads of dragons and medieval St. George paintings. I don't know. I always think of that from that Ace Ventura 2, where there's that room full of animal oh, heads yeah. and stuff. animals I was like, oh, what a lovely room of death. <laughs> <laughs> And they spend a lot of time, especially this Saint George painting, jousting verbally with each other about the thousands of years they've fought each other. Apparently, um, he, she does say something that like gets goes too far, causes them to flare up magically. Yeah,
1: which I don't see. It, what,
0: it doesn't seem that like tactful. Mm. But it seems like he can't actually hurt her. Like, this is more of that stuff we saw in a previous episode where, like, the flames jump away from her if she puts her hands in them and stuff. Like, mm. she's she can't be harmed by things because of her priestess status, I guess.
1: Uh, you know, you pay enough into the card, you're going to go up a... A rank, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Anyway, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's she's got the uh, the accessibility options turned on, so she's immortal, you know. Whatever. <laughs> pretty, but she can't earn achievements. That's why she needs Finn Fox. You oh, know what I'm talking about? Um, they toast each other's eternal destruction over orange bloody Marys as we yeah. learn that the that that courtney is the michael that saint michael's mount in cornwall is named after listen fox the fact that she says give me a bloody mary and then they both drink orange drinks really yeah. threw me for a loop it, here well
1: exactly it's like maybe he just doesn't know how to mix a bloody mary doesn't have much on that I mean, table
0: i mean it, it like it does require more elements than your standard bar has like you need a refrigerator to keep the uh to keep the mix in and stuff yeah exactly at the very least, tomato juice and some pepper. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe some celery or something. Mm, yeah, refresh. Live it up. Uh, <laughs> we then flash back to a fight. At, um, to fight, we've seen parts of before, ending in the destruction of lioness. Uh the Newts won that war, and Mandy here makes kind of a facile point about Germany and Japan winning World War II, but various like, brands from Germany and Japan still surviving. Like, I don't, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think. Mercedes, like Mercedes Benz, is a German company, but I don't think it's a Nazi company. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't think. I don't think that, like, that fucking Sony is like, ah, yes, like, (laughs) I sell this television in the name name of of Imperial Japan, you know? Like, I don't know. They weren't completely destroyed, but I feel like, especially if you think of Japan, they were pretty heavily influenced by the people who won by by the U.S. in the aftermath of World War II in a way that— I don't think you'd be crowing about, you know. Anyway, Amanda says that the dragon will, will always survive and rise again. And here's where, Fox, I mentioned that I, I like, if I have one complaint about this story, it's that one side is dragons and the other side is newts. Like, yeah. we have got two kind of lizardy factions. I would like <laughs> there, you know, if this had been a phoenix, that would make more sense. And then also we just have some more variation of magical creatures here. Speaking of which... Courtney checks a video screen, and we see Finn beginning to infiltrate the grounds of the mansion. For some reason, Amanda is giving Finn up to Courtney, and our buddies walking into a trap because women be treacherous. Next what time, the- Angel Delight. I guess that's fine. Let's
1: just do that now. I don't know. I mean, this
0: happened. This happened in the Horn God too, where um, where the goddess of nature flooded Finn's or uh, Slain's homeland while he was fighting for her against the forces of evil and stuff like that. Like. The, you know, we'll we'll talk about this way more next episode, I think, but the Pat Mills cosmology that we're seeing in all these stories and was in the ABC Warriors stories as well is that the sort of feminine mystique is incredibly powerful, but also incredibly treacherous. So you got to be careful. Real weird life philosophy, that's all. It's... It's it's I mean, it's a it's the philosophy of someone who's been through a divorce, is what it seems <laughs> like to me. I don't know. <laughs> My Here. guess. Um Anyway, let's let's keep this. Uh, I guess speaking of treacherous women, actually, Fox. Oh and my Pat God! Mills, oh let's my keep. God. Let's jump ahead to three hundred three. Flesh, because we got the Pat Mills Power Hour last Hell month for yeah. a while. script about Pat Mills and Tony Skinner, art robot Carl Critchlow, lettering robot Steve Potter. Man, the Pat start Power of this Hour continues. I, I love this start of this so much. <laughs> it's good. I, I love feel, its finish. I love every Very, part of it. Yeah, no, I, I got a lot of, a lot of connections to so this one. It's good. Shimana's dino army is preparing to take out the Time to Time corporate base. They've got a series of, coming, of cunning plans with four waves of dinos that are all going straight for the kill. <laughs> Yeah. Like it sort of, it breaks it up into four parts, and each one sort of they've, they're using the ancient predator strategy of going straight for the kill, whereas these other guys are using an innovative new strategy of going straight for the kill, etc. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Fox in a different Dave Lizzos. <laughs> A bunch of weird manosaurs, like sort of human-esque dinosaurs with big brains and stuff, maybe like a like a slee stack like the dinosaurs. Uh, lost yeah, maybe a dinosaur, I guess, but you know uh, a a lizard human hybrid like uh, the the frogs in the in the in the hollow earth those kind of guys yeah who doesn't like a good frog. But- yeah, they've crawled out of some caves, and they use simple levers and other tools to take out tra- a transport truck full of, ta- of uh, time-traveling workers, then steal their guns and technology. The future is theirs. They're going to build a civilization 65 million years in the past. At least until, I guess, on their way to the time-to-time base, these other dinos uh, find them, or find them in the midst of celebrating their brain-powered ability to think, and these other dinos just kill them instantly. No smarties, no (laughs) geniuses, no clever dicks. Oh, man. We won't be advancing, evolving, building houses, building nukes, none of this stuff. Man, and I love how it mentions like, yeah, listen, they
1: ate the bodies, but they left the heads because they don't want to be, they don't want to have brain poison curse of of intelligence. This is
0: another, yeah, this is another theme from uh Mills. Like, we saw this a lot in the Horn God, where they sort of talked about ain't like the ancient ways, there were several like. I, I I remember that one character that stole like the stone of destiny or something. They talked about him being from an ancient race that never developed language and thus wasn't bound by it. I guess so they could, you yeah. know, they weren't like put it. They weren't put into the rigid the rigidity of having a language. They could think of anything or something like that. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. What you know? I don't know. But anyway, um, it's time for ignoramus Rex to take out the humans. The brutal yeah. and stupid will inherit the earth. <laughs> And that's the end of flesh for now, but it'll be back in January of '93, so only a nice. few episodes away. Nice, yeah, good times. I love these dinosaurs on the edge of uh, of destruction. It's fun.
1: Living on the edge.
0: That's right, and that takes us to non thrills, covers, and setters. Hey. Prague 808. No heartbreaks here as Carl Critchlow draws Shimana and her dinosaur friends battling uh, battling brains with brawn. In the Nerve Center, Tharg mentions the Magic Roundabout and other kid shows in reference to this week's Dread story as we continue the Prague Genesis series, as the progs are sent to the printers and finalized, sometimes with a free gift. The input page is a trippy picture of Zenith and a dancing right said Dread, not too sexy for his badge. <laughs> <laughs> letters compliment Prague eight hundred. Uh, ask for longer letters. Worry about stories that contain matricide and suggest that Clint Eastwood play Chief Magruder in the in, in an upcoming oh, Dread movie. I would be okay with that. <laughs> Put a little beard on him. Like, uh, I, I guess it'd be weirdly progressive or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. He'd, he'd, be, he'd be playing a masculine female character. I guess. I mean, why not? In fact, in the Judge Dredd movie, uh, just sort of Council of Five member Magruder was played by actress Joanna Miles. Okay. Who, I don't know, isn't known for, has j- just does a lot of TV stuff, but I, looks like she's retired now. You know, a lot of TV movies where I, I believe she plays like a disapproving doctor or older <laughs> lady generally, you know? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> eight oh nine were I guess right said Fred had really hit the scene he they They did have a uh, a song in the opening of one of our shows recently because this oh. con- 80 cover also says fright said dread as he can't wow. handle puppet versions of his biggest villains. Anthony Williams draws him freaking out in the nerve center. Dark has forgotten everything about 2000 AD. Oh no! Luckily, he can reread them all at lightning speed, so he's back in business. It's day six of broad Genesis as the comics are delivered all around the world to varying levels of success. The input page is tiny this week with a court with like you know. There's a big input like uh, like header in one corner. Yeah. There's the uh, call. There's the uh, like a uh, which thrills do you like page. It takes up a quarter of the bottom. And the other quarter of the bottom has a huge ad for the Anne McCaffrey McCaffrey book Crystal Line. Letters Like Dread and Ask for More, The Clown, Do Some Casting for Zenith the Movie, and um, there's a weird notice of fictional litigation, as well as requests for more Cliff Robinson covers, and you'll certainly be getting them, awesome. along with a Robinson co- drawn thrill called Mother Earth. The mention of which just made me shudder like a like a goose walked over my gray fox. Not Whoa. stoked. Oh. The comic ends with another um, big hero quest ad. Always love that hero quest. Okay. Prague A-10, Virus, a major systems error, caused a big old gross face on this co- cover, <laughs> Wirehead's cover by Mike, ha- by Mike Hadley. In the Nerve Center, Thar gives a shout out to letterers, which I appreciate. You know, they're important, but, un- but mostly unsung heroes of the comic, uh, comic process. He then plugs the Winter Special, which we'll be talking about in a few episodes, along with the Action Special. We're going to do both those. Um, between the end of our 92 coverage and the start of the spinnies. Okay. The nerve center has pictures of acid Archie and a curvy Judge Barbarella. Letters ask if Wolfie Smith was related to revolutionary sitcom Citizen Smith. Revolutionary, like there was a dude that wanted to start a revolution in Tooting, London. Um, There's a request not to kill Zenith. Appreciation. Oh, sorry. And they will, but it's not as bad as, as you might think. Appreciation for the 2080 Collector's Index and a star profile. From a young reader named Luke Ayton, who may now be the manager of a youth football program out of Chemsford, England. I found your LinkedIn, buddy. (laughs) The prog ends with an ad for, okay, bear with me here, Urotsuki Doji, a horror anime from Manga Video. Awesome. Yeah, we've seen a lot of these ads in the mega actually, but not so much here in the progs of just this one company that's bringing all of the uh, oh, all of the anime classics to the they UK. Have fist to the North Star for God's fist sake! The North that's North Star, so They great. got Akita, They got all these ones. You know, I
1: don't know what Domino is, but uh, they're selling to
0: a crowd, I guess. <laughs> They've got oh, up. Listen, there's some classics in here. Bodacious babes. some yeah, there's some babes in here. They got like tank police, I think, is another one that I I remember just because I remember watching it on like a Saturday morning on the sci-fi channel when I was like twelve or something mm-hmm. like that. Lifetime. Eight eleven, 110% thrill power. A shadowy fit with a big knife and huge arms menaces us and this M- Mick Austin cover. These muscles. He's been working out. Or that, juicing. One of the two. I mean that uh magic juice, buddy. Oh man. That's true. <laughs> With Wireheads and Luke Kirby ending, Thargus plugging their replacements as Dead Meat and Robo Hunter will grace us with the next episode. In the Nerve Center, there's pictures of a logical Judge Spock and a weirdy dude with a giant mouthful of Boglins or something. I'm, I'm into uh, it, man. Good. You'll get these Boglins going, buddy. Let us have some questions about Thargian terminology. A little baby's all hopped up on Thrill Power. Some, there's some reasonably fair criticisms about Judge Joyce being full of stereotypes. And a writer that's read so much 2000 AD that they've started eating plastic cups just like Tharg. Oh, that's... No, don't do that. And oh, The prog ends with an ads page including the Mach 1 comic shop, a forbidden planet, signing coming up in our own fair city of Cambridge. And of course, build muscles fast. <laughs> Thrill four, uh, and that, you listen, exciting times, Fox. Absolutely. <laughs> Always good. What I like about the Nerve Center is that they're reliable. You generally know what's going to happen in each one, you know? <laughs> they cover a set. They've got a set, like, you know, not a plot, but just like things that are going to happen. You know what's going on, all that stuff. <laughs> anyway, apropos of nothing, <laughs> Thrill Four, Wireheads.
1: You know, the one thing that they do have in common with them in this episode is that it's randomly interrupted.
0: Mm. Script robot. And maybe I'll skip some of it. Nah, probably not. But still, Mark Isles, art robot, Mike Hadley, Letting robot, Ellie DeVille. <sighs> Last time, Lamb and T were confusingly menaced by the giant avatar of Paraspace Intelligence boss, Scalpel, with a cake. Yeah. But they killed that cliffhanger by just logging off. Back in mid- back in meat space, though, they're... <laughs> Also being menaced by a couple dudes from the Assassin's Guild, but luckily their friend Shamoon shows up and holds the assassins up with some corporate mumbo-jumbo, and the trio escapes t- into Tokyo, planning to head to London. And I guess our other bad guys, Oda and Mercy, are all headed to the moon where they'll meet with Scalpel and do something called the Erebus Virus. <laughs> back in Parispace. <laughs> In the AI-based, AI-founded Maelstrom, Paraspace Taurus, Ginger is meeting with an AI that's based on Alice in Wonderland named Gibson, who's, of course, based on William Gibson, a cyberpunk author. Gibson needs Ginger's help, though Paraspace Gem isn't, or Paraspace, like, uh, agent and person who's supposed to watch over Ginger, Gem, isn't into it. That's Gem, again, like the holograms. Um... Gibson needs to escape her prison here onto the main internet, or Paraspace, I guess, and she can do it by using Ginger's Paris or brain flu damaged brain, and then she does so. <laughs> she does. She After, does melt yeah. into her brain. After a quick ad for Amika Computers, and I will say that every um, store, every uh, Wireheads that we're reading has this big yellow two-page ad for Amika Computers in the middle of it, we... See that Gibson has taken over both Jem and Ginger as uh, um, in uh, in real life as Jem carries Ginger's body to some kind of c- compu-chair, allowing Gibson to both exist in Paris space and the real world, or at least yeah. insert their will there. Flesh is fuzzy, now-
1: <laughs> uh, there's so much chaotic input, and such a rational sensuality.
0: Okay. Woohoo. Anyway, now Gibson has some erasing to do, it's a pun that'll be explained yeah. later, and uh, Lamb, T, and Shamoon uh, land in London, head to a museum, and jack back into Paris space. Hey, don't just sleep at this museum, <laughs> Jesus.
1: They literally, they were like, yeah, okay, this museum will be a great place for us to just, like, slip into the Paraspace, and it's just like, man,
0: doesn't that I make mean, you I, more I, vulnerable? I guess it's better than the crack house they were in before, <laughs> like, just in terms of atmosphere, but still... They're headed to the Morpheus complex on the moon as we see Gibson blasting her way through the guards there. And I guess it's like, you know, it's the virtual concept of this moon base, I guess. Whatever. Um, yeah, it's got its Gem own intranet. Up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jem shows up again and tries oh. to stop her, but gets blasted. And Gibson starts doing some evil computer stuff, I guess. Yeah, it turns into so, a giant head. Uh, yeah. Lamb, T, and Shamoon meet up with Jem and the four of them. Go flying off after Ginger. But stop briefly at Jem's personal beachside data zone. Oh, yeah. Where everybody takes a moment to chill and recap things a bit and also, like, share fighting programs or something. Yeah, he's
1: like, here, they've I got, got you this, like, it's like a, a Ultra suit. defense program. Yeah, and yeah. stuff
0: like that. So, it's yeah, they've got to get to the moon to stop whatever the baddies are doing. Lamb and Shamoon head to the data moon as T and Jem head to meet space and drive over to the 3000 AD building, where out front we see the son of Bisley trying to hawk art. Um, there's a security droid with a crotch gun, and the pair arrive at the security door of an old cybernetic man. I believe many of the, uh, of, the of the extras in this scene are probably caricatures of 2000 AD staff, for the record. Um, anyway... <laughs> They arrive at the door. Yeah, old cybernetic man. They put on paraspace suits to go into this dude. His name's Bad Bacon, into his personal data space, sort of his own personal intranet kind of thing. And he's a smuggler or something with. Things are very hippie and weird. And he hooks them up with some experimental military technology. And the two of them go to a secluded area and jack into paraspace, meet up with Lamb and Shamoon, and prepare to get cyber fighting. At the Morpheus Complex, Gibson's ripping through the surface into the data zone as Jem prepares a sweet virtual guitar that will let them blast their way into the data (laughs) zone as well. Inside, they use chameleonic software as Gibson confronts an Oda Nobunaga, Mercy Shriek, and Scalpel for their work on the Erebus project. Gibson tells them to leave, but Scalpel fires his techno gun and causes a big explosion. Gibson sends the trio of jerks they kicks him out of Paris space as the quartet of heroes arrive but Gibson's clearly too much of them so they check in on the baddies A scalpel reveals that Gibson can destroy the earth from where she is. And the baddies explain to the heroes that the Erebus virus alters the structure of the brain, turning the pineal gland into a radio receiver that could be hit by radio lasers. (laughs) Or uh, razors, as they're called. And I believe this is the source of the eraser pun earlier, because they're right, you know, E, razors, whatever. And kill everybody. Uh, the, tr- uh, the trio of baddies is planning to do this to hold the human race to ransom. Yeah. And I guess there's, this is somehow related to brain flu, which we haven't had a really good explanation of what that yeah, actually no, so is. They, it,
1: they cause, they cause the but, brain flu with the so Arebis virus. the brain the flu, virus.
0: the pineal gland changing? I don't know. Yeah. So the
1: Erebus uh, virus, <laughs> hold on, let me see if I can do this. If the Erebus virus cr- start does the brain flu, right? And right. the brain it, turns your, yeah, it turns
0: your brain into a, into a radio receiver right. And Ginger's had it And that's why Gibson can ride on her brain She's riding in the receiver In her pineal gland, right. exactly. I guess
1: Exactly, and then they were like oh, We'll be able to, we can kill people with this too So we'll just yeah. hold people ransom And anyone who tries to fight us will just murk them I believe um, this is
0: the plot of both Goldfinger and Moonraker, I think, <laughs> with just sort of a a space-based thing where the where the bad guy is just going to sort of ransom people because he can kill you from space, basically.
1: Well, also, like, they're not the only people that can get to space, right? But I guess, yeah, you could just kill people.
0: Yeah, presumably from your the moon's a weird enough, is a hard enough to get to place that you could just zap people when they tried to do something to you. Although Damn. you know, just shoot, 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 shoot some missiles. That seems like it would take you yeah, out pretty. I mean, I guess we'll see that happen actually. But. um Anyway, on the moon, the baddies hurry to put on spacesuits as Gibson is taking control of the station as opening up airlocks HAL style. They climb aboard a space shuttle and escape the facility as its auto-destruct makes it explode. The trio of baddies think they're safe with the project destroyed, but of course, I can't help but notice the image of Gibson on one of their uh, view screens on yeah, this shuttle. Yeah, I mean, it is like a super AI yeah, it's fast. The Morpheus data zone has been destroyed, and Jem quickly goes to Patsy, mid-pleasures of the flesh, to get Ginger's home address. You'd think you'd put that in the contact form when you signed up for the uh vacation yeah, spot. Exactly. IRL, the crew, heads over there as the um as on the baddie shuttle, the evil trio runs to an escape pod as Gibson destroys their ship. And gin uh, at gingers, our heroes arrive to find an Aya Rail Ginger in Alice in Wonderland clothes with mystic with blaster, yeah. blaster powers now in real life. Yeah, why but they, why they can engage, she do all of that? They, uh, they engage their their uh, combat programs and beat her up and wrap her in tinfoil, which is somebody's <laughs> fetish, certainly. Um Ooh. then this seems to break the connection with Ginge, like like we're endorsing tinfoil hat uh, uh, conspiracies Yeah, here. but then also, didn't she
1: download herself into it? She's not projecting from that point the whole purpose. Uh, is that Who she knows?
0: Can- the gang jump backs into Paris space where G- Gibson is now a giant with a bunch of extra screaming heads and creepy, creepy extra arms. We'll have to suit up and blow her away with all these fighting programs we have. Let's get crazy. Let's do it, Planeteers. Gibson- <laughs> Gibson sang a bunch of gibberish as the quartet blasts the shit out of it, finally uh, <laughs> blowing the whole Gibson thing up, turning it into a giant purple embryo, 2001 style.
1: Anyway, we better we get created, back to the real mark. world. The,
0: the end of Wireheads. <laughs> Wireheads Forever? will return in November of 1995. Okay. Well, there we go. We're going to find out what this egg is. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the the next wirehead story is like a has like a colon and then another title so it might be just a different oh god cyberpunk i hope it's space story baby <laughs> give me space baby give me the 20 the 2010 wirehead, to this 2001 baby. oh
1: my god uh i understood this a bit more this time
0: because it's just kind of fighting, but like yeah, but they're, they they, they did, and also they just, just like
1: moving around. It's like a it's like a fucking chat room that's changing every ten seconds, you know?
0: Yeah, they're just sort of changing sci-fi locations, but at some point, all the heroes just morph into one hero, all the bad guys morph into one bad guy, just sort of as a group. But they're all sort of speaking with the same voice, and they all think the exactly same thing at the same time, and stuff like that. <laughs> Like, I wonder, honestly, this feels like, like, I would say the big thing I have, uh, the the big, uh, to sum up my critique of Wireheads, Fox, I feel like it's got a very bold idea. Yeah. I love the idea of a cyberpunk story here in 2000 AD. Sick. Like, I feel like that's a space of... That's that's an up-and-coming area of sci-fi that has not been been properly um, investigated in 2000 AD. Like, if I could think of two things I'd like to see more of, it's more space opera and more uh, cyberpunk. But anyway. Well, fuck yeah. What I would, because like, you know, Dan Dare is sort of only, like, we haven't had a Dan Dare, uh, like, just some spaceship shit. Yeah, when was the last
1: time that we
0: blew up a goddamn planet, you know? for ABC Warriors, kind of. Kind of. Um... But I I would say that honestly, if I had one criticism, it's that this five this um, 2080 format, this Britcom format, seems like it's a little bit too much for Mark for, uh, for 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 Mark Eels. Like he's just I the way that these characters have been like sort of morphed together. Everything's very expository. He's just got he's put too many characters in here for the five page format, and it really shows. Just in how the comic plays out and stuff like yeah. that. I feel like this is something that, you know, it wouldn't be a problem if we had like five, like, or like a couple, like, you know, like 20 page comics or whatever, yeah, but in exactly. the five page process, like
1: some, some room for it to actually like yeah. you know, catch the its need, breath.
0: Yeah. The need to have the five page of like resolve cliffhanger, advanced plot, have new cliffhanger. He, he him working for that has led things to fall other parts of the of storytelling to fall away in a way that's less pleasing than people who are a little more accomplished at this art, if I, I are, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, that's sort it's, of, a, it's a that's completely different up, scheme of writing, right? When you're doing yeah, anthology. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I don't know how like I know he's d- or he's either has done or will do a lot of Sonic stuff. I don't know if the Brit Sonic is also anthology format, but um, I would say at the very least I feel like this comic could have been improved greatly by paring down the number of good guys to like 2 and the bad guys down to 1. I think that would have let allowed for more character development and just more like um you know and just keep things a little bit less feel, fe- feeling less bare bones I guess. As it is there's just so ma- there's so many there's so many characters and so much stuff that it feels very stretched out in a way that's not that great. Yeah, I agree. And also it means that things happen. There's just no room to explain exactly what's happening. So it also becomes very confusing sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As my past remarks have, have dictated on this. Like they could have dropped a lot of human main characters and spent more time making the, wor- making the world a character and having explanations for that and stuff like that. I would have liked that. Me too. Um, anyway. But speaking of not having too many characters, Fox, just enough, I'd say. I, I'm, I'm, I'm into this story, actually. I'm this down with it. This is fit. just enough characters. Let's go to 305 5, Luke Kirby. Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot John Ridgeway, lettering robot Annie Parkhouse. Just before dawn, Luke and Luke Kirby and Zeke the uh, the tramp arrive at the old Howard place, this haunted mansion they visited in, sp- in the spirit world last episode. This time they're there in the flesh. The plan is to free Luke's cousin Kim and hopefully kill this jerk the Nightwalker. Yeah, let's get this guy. Stab him in his sleep. Absolutely. They step inside hearing a weird voice call out in pain. Luke is a flashlight, while Zeke pierces the magical darkness with some kind of magic flame. The house gets colder as they go deeper into it, eventually heading into a wine cellar so cold they can see their breath. Zeke produces a couple wooden stakes and a silver cross, as well as a revolver. They'll take it out one way or another.
1: I like how he specifically is like, nah, man, listen, it's not the cruciform, it's the It's, it's the, the silver. silver in it, yeah, yeah. come
0: on. The basement has a big wooden crate in it. They go to open it, but it's empty. (gasps) Instead, behind them is the Nightwalker looking all real wizened, like kind of like a black skinned Nosferatu, I guess. Yeah. Mouth open so that he can filter feed. Mm. Oh, oh, he's a a fucking whale or whatever. (laughs) Whale shark. (sighs) Anyway, with a seemingly entranced Kim standing in a misty doorway. What a jerk. Luke is afraid, but not so afraid he can't do his his plan. I admit, Fox, I didn't write them all down, but I feel like for the rest of Luke Kirby, like, whereas the start of Luke Kirby constantly had these pop songs playing in the background. Yeah. For the rest of Luke Kirby, just imagine that there's a a steady narration on the concept of fear and and how to fight and overcome it. Yeah. I'll mention some of it, but it is very, it is just constantly going on throughout the rest of Luke Kirby Luke and Zeke split up to prepare to do a pincer move on the walker not realizing that the walker has his own backup that weird bug-eyed jester dude from last episode I mean make friends with weird creepy
1: people is that the, is yeah. that the message we need to send
0: yeah, be distracted by extraneous NPCs. That's the DM's motto. The <laughs> walker leaves leaves with Kim as the Jester stays to deal with Luke and Zeke. And it seems like this is that actual escaped maniac person that the newspapers have been talking about and who's been suborned by the Nightwalker. The jester begs not to be left behind, but the walker just tosses him straight at Zeke. The <laughs> jester feels betrayed but goes to attack Zeke. We don't get a name for this guy. I'm calling him the jester because I don't really want to call him the maniac, yeah. I guess. Uh, Zeke blinds him with that glow, with that magic fire thing, and then uses his powers to pick up a wooden stake and Staked magically him. drive it through the jester's back out through his chest. The jester goes down, seemingly dying, but he doesn't double tap because as Luke and Zeke go to leave the place, the jester springs up with the stake still sticking out of his chest oh, and yeah. jumps on Zeke's back, staking them both. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> he stakes. The dude through the back and then staggers backwards to
0: drive it home. Seriously, the jester's killing Zeke and himself slowly as Zeke goes full Gandalf, telling Luke to go after the Walker and Kim. In a bear hug from behind, the jester throws, like you said, throws himself and Zeke into a wall back first, driving the stake further into Zeke's body. Jesus. Goddamn. The jester once again seems dead as Zeke pulls himself off the stake, telling Luke there's no time. But the jester's still alive and (laughs) keeps and goes to hug Luke and stake him as well. Because his chest is a weapon now. That's all he's got. Yeah. But as he runs at the boy, Zeke uses the last of his powers to send the jester into flying into a wooden crate that breaks and splinters, impaling the jester and finally putting him down for count. Jeez,
1: oh, took long enough, huh? How many
0: stakes do we have to
1: drive through?
0: <laughs> I will say that like this happened before when Zeke tried to stake the Nightwalker, and the Nightwalker was like, "What the hell?" and then pulled the stake out of his own <laughs> chest and staked Zeke himself. Um, luckily zeke has seen his own death and this ain't it so he tells luke to run and luke does so yeah
1: that's smart and then hey let's go to the train it's a milk train yeah a london
0: milk luke, train yeah luke <laughs> follows the walker to a nearby milk train headed for london i get you know, i guess it makes sense that you sort of you got fresh milk in bottles gotta get it to and- london It's got to get to London because they need there. They need to get They they need their lactose in London, Fox. Everyone knows (laughs) London runs on lactose. Oh my God!
1: Can you? you I'm telling
0: everybody that. But um but so but and if the walker gets there then of course he'll be able to lose himself in a city of millions of people and just you know eat them all basically with a young lady it's like come on bud why he went from germany to small town england without stopping in london along the way is lost to me but it doesn't matter <laughs> Because he was in Germany when oh, fucking Zeke fought him before. Um, anyway, sneaking past the superstitious train dudes. Apparently, there's a there's a corp there's a bod, there, there's a dead body in a coffin in one of the train cars. Like, oh, I don't like it being this dead body being here with the milk. It's not right. You know, think of all it'll, think, it'll, think it'll, of the milk's feelings. You know, it'll sour the milk with its like corpseness, You know. Yeah, exactly. So he, My ass. He sneaks past them. Ooh, Luke finds a locked train door and uses the magic to blast it open, and then um, starts talking more about fear that an alchemist must face death, become acquainted with it, and only then can you also become a warrior. Inside Uh, the locked car, Luke finds a coffin with an unconscious kim draped over it, the body once inside tossed to the wall. Which, Jesus, okay. Yeah. This guy needs a coffin asleep, and Luke pulls Kim away, remembering again that the path of the warrior means being aware of death, it being your constant companion, and it is only as a warrior that an alchemist can hope to survive the path of knowledge as the Nightwalker rises from the coffin to confront Luke.
1: Dakini! Sapa!
0: All right. I'm okay. glad that landed. <laughs> the door to the railway car is open, creating a shaft of light um, down the middle of the car, cutting off the other two sides in darkness. On one side stands Luke and is barely able to stand Cousin Kim. On the other side stands the Nightwalker. Ugh. They stare at each other as Luke glances out the door at the slowly rising sun, and the Nightwalker goes from just sort of Nosferatu to full Buffy the Vampire Slayer Nosferatu, his crazy face suddenly mesmerizing Luke in place. No! <laughs> He forces Luke to walk towards him to give himself over, but as he gets closer, suddenly Kim springs awake and tackles Luke. This loosens the walker's control of Luke, and then he kind of does this judo move and just kicks Kim out the side of the train. That's really dangerous. This shocks the walker, and his surprise causes him to step just the tip of his shoe out into the sunlight, where his toes begin to blister and burn. Seeing an opening, Luke uses his powers to send his enemy into the daylight, out the side of the train. But as he does in a similar judo move, the walker grabs Luke with a smoking, burning hand, and suddenly they both go flying out the side of the speeding train car. Next time, into the light. Well...
1: I think that vampire's done, got sunned all over him. Gotta tuck and roll, buddy. Yeah. Be careful. I, you know, I'm really, jumping out of a train is very bad.
0: <laughs> I think it's cool, though, man. I love that. I would I mean, love uh, to. Oh, yeah. Like, that's a that's a top, like, movie thing for me, I guess. I don't know. I feel like when I was a kid, there were a bunch of, like, I don't know, hobo movies that I saw or something yeah, you like know, that. Just cross, this idea of, yeah, of just train. running and jumping onto an open train car And then, like throwing your suitcase on board and running and jumping in, exactly. And then you gotta like, you know, jump off of it in time, so you don't have to get off the train station where the uh, the train guys will beat you up or something. I don't know. It's very romantic and old school, I guess, to me. (laughs) Train dogs. Anyway, yeah, good times. These mystic young people, Fox, they're fighting them, and we should get the resolution to Luke Kirby. I believe. Yeah, next episode, I think we got one more installment of this thing. Okay. But as we discuss mystic young people, Fox... Oh, hell yes. Let's go to... (laughs) Drill Six, Revere. My boy's back. Yeah, script robot John Smith, art robot Simon Harrison, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Revere is back. Let's work out and touch TVs, baby. Always. We last saw him in fall of 1991, and this section of Revere is called Written in Water. I should say... Um, in between our coverage of Revere, uh, Rebellion put out a, a, a digital-only re- re- Rebellion collection Ooh. with all parts of it. So definitely check that out. When we started, it, it's Revere hadn't been collected yet but by the time we put that episode out it had been oh awesome. which is just another one of these conspiracy theories i think of rebellion trying to make me look stupid or something <laughs> or just them them realizing like listening to the sh- like realize like seeing what's coming up on our show and being like hey there isn't a collection for this what the heck you know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know they put out a kids rule okay t-shirt on the day that our action coverage or that came out fox that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to say oh, damn um so anyway, three weeks after the events of the first Revere story, we see the witch boy of London trying to commune with a TV set as a dude in a jester outfit with a crow um, and a crow theme tries to teach him the ways of techno magic. Yeah, baby. Yeah, he's still trying to figure out what to do with this new life, this new destiny that he got at the end of the first Revere story, what that means for him, but... Um, all, but all that's really clear is that big changes are coming. Something to do with water and rebirth. A place called Huitzitiga Huistigra. H-U-I-C-T-I-I-G-R-A, which I'll that's... mention will be revisited in another 2000 AD, in like an Indigo Prime 2000 AD story, oh. like, like, um, recently, like in the last like two or three years, basically. Oh wow. Just bringing all of this Smithverse stuff together. Oh, yeah. We see that, Re- yeah, we see that Revere has built a conspiracy wall in his apartment. As the astrologer tells him not to worry about things too much, Revere seems to think that a lot of what's going on with him is focuses on this one uh, parking lot somewhere. We also see Revere doing physical training, running and jumping through exercise courses, using his deadly black spit diving deep underwater. Physical exertion is the only thing that distracts him from his thoughts of, pro- of prophecy and magic, so he keeps pushing himself, yeah, sharpening super his. Super ripped. Seriously, yeah, definitely. It's like, yeah, he, I like there's a thing that he says here where he's sharpening his mind on the whetstone of his body, basically. Yeah. And thus, in both ways, moving beyond the limits of reality, we see him summoning swarms of butterflies and uh, catching arrows in mid-flight. And he stuff. charmed
1: like a bunch of hungry wolves, too. It was really awesome. It's he just cool. held out his
0: hands and they were just like, all right, we're not going to eat you. We're going to hang out yeah. with you. The astrologer tells him water is Revere's element, but before he can go deeper, as his mom's disembodied head looks on, the wall kicks open and a bunch of armored goons run in. Oh man, (laughs) they found us. Yeah. The goons start to sweep Revere's place as Revere and the astrologer crouch and wait. The head of Revere's mother uh, floats over to some of the goons and just spits out a giant plasma beam of flame. It's pretty awesome. Eat it. Things get chaotic as the goons burn and die. And from the flame and smoke, Revere comes flying out, taking goons as he goes. He's got the samurai sword now. It's pretty awesome. Revere escapes as the astrologer taunts the goons, throws a bottle at them and gets shot a bunch of times. Oh, no. But before he dies, he hits a lighter burns up the, uh, the the gas in the bottle and kills even more goons yeah. and traps the remainders of them upstairs. The goons call for backup but it's minutes away and suddenly is Revere is and suddenly Revere is among them, taking them apart like a mechanic would an engine. God damn- Backup arrives, and the soldiers walk right into another blast from Revere's mom, who introduces herself as the motherhead, Loa Mama Brigitte, who's a voodoo goddess of life and death and the consort of Baron Samedi. It's very cool, but also one of these introductions that means that finally one of the goons shoots her dead, basically. Yeah, right through the mouth and into the back of the head. It's yeah. real gruesome, man. Bad times. The place is a shambles. As the leaders of the goons do one of those "it's only two people" kind of things, they have one of those conversations. Yeah, take them out. In the sky, on the roof of the building, um, stands Revere, and amidst the flames, his arms outstretched, a sword in one hand and the head and spine of a goon in the other, and then he's gone into the night. Definitely. The action in this one, uh, eight ten is amazing. Really great oh, stuff by yeah. Simon Harrison here. This, like, impression. Actually, the first one was good, too, with the training. But just this, you know, I think we said before that this story basically... It, like, John Smith is writing this story basically just for Simon Harrison to do some bomb-ass art. And That's it really so is true. effective here. The sun rises in a blood-red sky and Revere's going somewhere, a straight line from where... A straight line away from his dead mother and teacher, though he doesn't know quite where. In the wilderness, he meets the astrologer's jackdaw or crow, and we see the goons. They're symbol is this red uh, red triangle, I guess. And um, and we see um where they're going as Revere follows the jackdaw, and then he hears music in the di- in the distance. Back at Revere's old place, the goons are searching around, and we learn that the captain in charge of these goons got a face full of acid in that first chapter of Revere and now has very heavy scars. Not great for Um, that dude. Yeah, but one of the goons has found a surviving piece of Revere's insanity wall, marking this old car car park on Oxford Street. shit. While another, yeah, which can't be good for the future, and then another goon has found uh, Revere's mother. Who it seems is fully dead, but the goons decide to send it over to the Baron, who can talk to people. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I guess can extract information even from the dead.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it's I guess it makes sense if we have what this one character as uh, uh, Mama Brigitte. Then there's, there's another character, a Baron, could be a Baron smetty kind oh, yeah. of thing going on here, voodoo things. So Revere's found his way to the Carousel Club. And while the bouncers give him a hard time, because it seems pretty clear that basically word has gone out that, like, they talk about Revere basically having the plague, because if anybody tries to help him, then they'll, like, because basically these goons want to kill Revere, and if anybody helps Revere, then they'll kill you too, basically. And, like, people, and everybody associated with you. Yeah. So he's become persona non grata. But... Luckily, Revere is also enough of a badass that he can basically just stare his way into the club. <laughs> yeah. <I
1: think. laughs> Jedi mind tricks through uh, through just a glare.
0: Yeah, I'd say this is less of a mind trick and more of like just sort of like his glare is a threat, you know? Like he's got mm. a sword. He's sort of a badass here. <laughs> the club is a circus theme and a lot of post-apocalyptic cool cats in a very Simon Harrison manner here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the- the bar serves all kinds of water, including Malvern water, which appears to be a, a British brand um, or style of water, I guess. Revere drinks it as a mostly naked figure hangs upside down in the stance of the, of the hanged man tarot card. Yeah. And sings some enchanted evening as across, as across that crowded room, Revere spots a pretty lady with red goggles and a blue latex cat suit with bell-bottom legs. Damn. She's eating an apple, no symbolism here, and Revere goes <laughs> over to meet her. Next time, hearts and minds. Oh, yeah. Hashtag thoughts and prayers. Mmm. Well, we're winning over. But with that, Fox, Ooh, boy. we have finished the thrills for Prugs 808 to 811. And thus, I must know, as we're getting to the end of 1992, what are oh, your yeah. top and bottom thrills?
1: Uh, you know,
0: um man i so my
1: my top uh, despite not going for the full run has got to be revere i feel like it's nice. just a, it's such a strong opening to all of it um especially just cuz we've we've been away from it for so long um mm-hmm. and it it really just out the gate exposes you to you know what is act 1 it's like yeah i'm still doing this thing getting stronger but then that's immediately smashed by like Nah, man, now there's a ticking clock element. <laughs> you are getting chased. <laughs> um, yeah. So I really loved it. I really loved all the artwork. I, I'm i very interested to see where this world goes, where this character goes, what it's all about. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm uh, not cautiously optimistic. I'm insanely excited. Nice. Um, and, you know, before I get to my bottom, it's, you know, I, I'm excited for this new Dread story. Right. Um Curious to see mm-hmm. how he most likely eliminates a friend from his class. Thin uh, kind of waned for me at the end here. Um, just because it's like, yeah, you know, another another freaking treachery, basically. Um, sad to see flesh glow go, excited to see it come back. And of course, um, I think that the Journal of Luke Kirby, I really enjoyed this one. It was it was just fine for me. Um, but in terms of bottom, baby, you know, it's going to be wireheads. Um, and I think really just from tripping on its own feet for the most part, I, I think that you did a really good kind of breakdown of this. I was able to understand a lot more this round um, than in prior, but I do think that you're right that there's just there's a lot of world to be exposed to here that's done through um, discourse as opposed to experiencing it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And I just think it's it's a lot of people. It's like. You know, just kind of stumbling over themselves to make sure that they're in shot. So, yeah, I you know could have been better, but not overall not a horrible month this month. It was really good, I would say. It was a good month. Yeah, no, I like this one a lot for sure. And so, Conrad, I must ask you the same question, sir. What were
0: your top and bottom thrills? I must know, man. I must know. (laughs) Tell me. Um, let me. If I had, if I have one. One complaint about Dread right now, Fox. Mm -hmm. It's that by having a two like one we had first, we had this two prog story yeah, and this Raider story is going to be a five prog story for a while. We had things really dialed in where we had four part dread stories and they lasted exactly one episode of this podcast. Yeah, and I, I like f- that a lot. Yeah. Now we're spreading them out over multiple episodes. And this is really just going to mess up my scheduling of things. And I don't appreciate it, but yeah, you know, you're know, you on notice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, putting everything on notice. Um, but otherwise I like these, you know, one fun kind of psychedelic dread story, and then sort of a more realistic noirish story. I love when we have that kind of stuff in dread. Um like you like I thought Finn was fine, I guess. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like like again, I'm not a huge fan of like I wish there were more ways for these stories to go than Finn almost dying and then some sort of new thing shows or you know, miraculous thing shows up and save him at the last minute, I guess. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But I guess, you know, I don't know It's a whole, there's a conversation we had about God-moding things and stuff like that, I guess You know, flesh, fine, again It's in, I do really Think it's interesting to see this world view That Mills has, you know Um, and just sort of how he's putting this philosophy that he clearly believes into these comics. Like there's a, there's a, there's a term paper or, or a, a thesis for somebody in there, you know, who's (laughs) writing, wants to write about comic books, you know, talk about the ideology of Pat Mills in the early nineties, basically, um, But yeah, I'll happily put Revere on the top. I like, you know, this Simon Harrison art is, I feel like initially I've had some problems with it, but the more I spend time with it, the more I like it and the more that it kind of, I really get a sense of it and I really think that it's amazing. Um, that might not have been my, that's not my initial gut reaction, but it is something I've, I've grown into. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's gonna be my top. Oh, sorry. I forgot. Also, I like this. I like this Luke Kirby story a lot. It's sort of is in second place and peeking in actually like just this guy, just the idea of someone using a stake through their chest as a weapon. Yes. Several times is really (laughs) enthralling to me, Fox. Like there's just something about that. He's not a quitter, you know, that's clear enough. Yeah. And then just the audacity of stories ending with characters being tossed and jumping off the sides <laughs> of trains. That's cool. Like, I don't know. That's well just a done. good, that's just good, like, action stuff, you know? So I'm in favor of that as well. Um, for my bottom, you know, it's got to be Wireheads. I didn't like Wireheads very much. I think I sort of talked, I, I, I talked about some criticism of it earlier in the show. Not great, um, which is too bad because again, I'd love more cyberpunk in 2000 AD, but this is not how to do it, I guess. So whatever. Good also, shots shots also, on goal, right? Yeah, and I think also again, this is like any cyberpunk stuff. I feel like is bold in the early 90s, just or or, or seems like bold from our view here in 2021. Just because you're doing internet stuff, but the internet doesn't really exist yet. And yeah. the terms aren't in common knowledge, you know? Like, I keep saying, like, logging on to the internet in the course of my Wireheads reviews. But that's not terminology that people have in 1992. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? Like, not, not really, I don't think. Like, I, I mean, I'm just using my own, my own experience as a guide here. But, like, 92 is still a little bit before I really started with the internet as well, I think for me, it was more sort of going into ninety three and maybe beyond that but um yeah i don 't know it 's an interesting thing worth like keeping an eye out or worth giving giving these early cyberpunk stories some grace, I guess because they're yeah. super trying to tell a story. About a technology that doesn't quite exist yet, so it's hard. To, you know, you have to you have to lay a lot of groundwork when you tell the story. Like you can't just like if you tell a cy- like if you tell a cyberpunk story now, we talk about just like kind of like like yeah, like jacking into the matrix or something. All that ground's been laid <laughs> beforehand. You know, it'd be it's 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 like a space opera story where you don't where you have to explain the concept of faster than light travel as opposed to just being a given. Things like that. You know? Yeah. Exactly um yeah so but still not like while i'll give it grace for that i'm less willing to give it grace for the characterization and way the story was told like that's a chat that's not that good and thus you know whatever i'll 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 give it some ground there's also still some work to be done so let's go <laughs> anyway, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner 2000com Feel free to contact us at spacespinner 2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner2K for everything else with like Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. And hey, why not drop us a rating or review wherever you're listening? It helps us out a lot. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Harding, and Zane Kipmiller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cradeline, our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. And come back next time as we'll reach the end of our 1992 coverage as we finish off Luke Kirby and Revere and celebrate the return of Dead Meat, Robo Hunter, and Doom. Ooh, 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 I like one of those things. I don't like uh, another one. I think you're, it's sort of a, it's, I sort of went for a uh, for a new thrill sandwich there, with two you might be interested in, one that you aren't. Oh God! <laughs> and oh, until well, then, right. I'm Conrad Fox and we are Space Spinner Two Thousand Slamming birth 3!